0: the truth, I don't know the way, I don't know what to think, I don't know what to say, yeah but that's alright, yeah that's okay, I don't know anything. Hello everyone, welcome to Factually, I'm Adam Conover and let's talk about music today. Everyone loves music. It's one of the most basic elements of our culture. In fact, I mean, at the dawn of humanity, we would gather around the fire with our buds, crack open a couple deer eh, eh, and make music together. Right. And a few months from now, after the apocalypse comes, we can expect to be doing the same. Music is something that people love to make and something that people love to experience in fact, for many of us, it's one of the things that makes life worth living. So as a species, we have a constant demand for it. We always want it. So if that's the case, why is it that it's almost impossible now to make a living at it? We all love music. We all love musicians. We all value musicians more the more talented they are, yet We all know that those who make music aren't rewarded according to their ability or artistic merit. I mean, sure, sometimes a breakthrough song like Old Town Road or Gangnam Style is deservedly rewarded for being the objective masterpiece that it is. But there's a much longer list of incredibly talented musicians who simply aren't able to make a living doing what they're good at. Why is that? Why are we unable as a society to support the people who do what we all love, whose product we can't live without? Well, to understand why, you have to understand that musicians' lives are in fact determined by things that have nothing to do with music. See, despite the fact that music is an ephemeral thing carried by the wind, the truth is that until very recently, musicians in the music industry always, always, always made their money, not by selling the music itself, but by selling physical stuff that contained music in one form or another. In the late 19th and early 20th century, the music industry's biggest moneymaker was sheet music. Songwriters would pump out up to 25,000 new songs a year, which were sold in sheet music form so that people could play them in their own homes on their pianos and sing to entertain each other. The industry actually employed pluggers to play the music in department stores and public squares in order to make the songs a hit, a very early form of uh, mall radio. And when those songs caught on, they could be mad massive sheep music for a sentimental waltz called after the ball sold over 10 million copies and that was without the ability to do remixes that wouldn't come for another hundred years or so but as technological innovation marched on the industry adapted in the early 1900s they began selling player piano scrolls which were basically hard-coded instructions you could pop into a player piano to play a song sort of like a hardware midi file And again, this was used to sell hit songs in physical form. And piano rolls made the ragtime work of musicians like Scott Joplin hyper popular. But the biggest leap was the development of true physical media. For the first time, instead of storing music as information to be played back on an instrument, new technologies made it possible for the industry to record and sell the sound waves themselves and store them in a physical object that could be mass produced. And this model was incredibly profitable. What started as simple cylinders and shellac or vinyl discs became cassettes and then CDs. Compact discs were cheap to make and expensive to buy, so the margins were incredible. And as music fans rushed to replace their vinyl collections with CDs, the U.S. music industry hit a peak of profitability in 1999, making, get this, 22.4 billion dollars. The money was flowing in, and when you saw glam rockers or rappers, you know, in front of mansions doing songs about how rich they were, that show was real. The industry was incredibly lucrative, but you all know what happened next. Music went digital, and instead of buying it on $10 pieces of plastic, it became essentially free. In the early 2000s, MP3 sharing made it easier to pirate music than to buy it in a store or even pay for it online, and online music stores barely staunched the bleeding, with the result that industry revenue plummeted to a low of around $7 billion in 2014. Since then, the rise of streaming has bumped that up a bit to over $11 but that is still half of what it was at its peak in 1999. I want to say that again. The music industry has literally shrunk in half in the last 20 years. And not only has the pie gotten smaller, an even smaller amount of that pie is going to the artists who actually make the music. According to one account, Spotify pays a copyright holder on average... I'm going to try to put this into words. Uh, They only pay them point zero zero three one eight dollars per stream. That's a fraction, a tiny fraction of a penny. So that track, even if it streams a million times, the artist could only earn three thousand one hundred and eighty dollars. If they're lucky, some contracts mean that the artists earn even less. But it's not as though everyone in the industry is suffering. Meanwhile, the major record labels have been able to arrange deals such that streaming earns them over a million dollars every hour. So the big boys on top in the suits, they're making bank while the artists who make the actual music starve or have to work second jobs just in order to pursue their art. So where does that leave us? Musicians are still making great music, right? That's never going to stop. Music is a fundamental human activity. There will always be musicians and there will always be people who want to hear it. But because of everything other than music, because of technological progress, predatory capitalism, and our own behavior as the audience shifting to this digital model, that has changed what it means to be a musician in negative ways. It is harder than ever to make music for a living. So how... Do they do it, right? What is it like to be a working musician in today's reality? What do you have to do in order to make a career at this? I have always been intensely curious about that question. And on the show today, I've got the perfect guest to get into it with us. His name is Open Mike Eagle. He's an independent hip-hop artist. He's an incredible musician. I'm a personal fan of his music. He's also appeared on Adam Ruins Everything, where he helped explain all the problems in the music industry to us. Uh, And he is here on the show today to go into it in an even deeper dive. I know you're going to love this interview. Let's get right to it. Please give it up for Open Mike Eagle, everybody. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. I've uh, been a fan of yours for such a long time. You were nice enough to be on Adam Ruins Everything, too, uh, last year. Really fun. You're a working musician, correct? Yeah. I Yeah, most of the time I'm working. That's, that's how I'd put it. Like, you're not a, forgive me for saying, you're not a massive star. You're not Billie no, Eilish. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not I'm I'm faced with that
1: reality every day I've had to become <laughs> quite comfortable with it.
0: <laughs> but you're but it's how you make your living. You're not yes, a you're, you're not a wannabe, you're not trying to be you are making your living at music. Absolutely. Uh and it's kind of a it's a difficult landscape for me. First of all the pandemic, how's the pandemic affected your your line of work? I can tell you how it's affected comedy.
1: Well, uh you know, I, I I'll put it to you this way, for me uh personally I was in the middle of a tour when the country shut down. Wow. So um like I, I had done three weeks of a tour and like we went through the Northwest I, I believe like a few days after we left Washington is when they had they they said they found the first case up there. Um and so we were kind of like ducking and dodging it and evading it. The um the merch person on our tour actually got sick near the end of the tour and we were all wow. thinking, oh my goodness. Um you know, we're all thinking she's got it, but nobody <laughs> wants to say it. And um, <laughs> is she on the bus with you? Yeah, we were, we were in a van. Yeah. Uh, so um, in the uh, the first leg ended and we're home on a break and the tour is supposed to pick up uh, three weeks from that point. Uh, turns out she didn't have COVID, but she had swine flu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she had like the plague from 2009. Yes. Instead? <laughs> She's yes. just 10 years late.
1: <laughs> it was absolutely incredible and hilarious <laughs> only because she ended up being okay. Okay. But, um, thank God. but uh, we, you know, we're, we're at home for three weeks. The tour is supposed to pick back up again. It was supposed to start in the Midwest and go to the East coast. And, um, Yeah. And then we get word that I mean, we're all worried because we're all hearing that things are shutting down. And then we finally get the confirmation like, yeah, this thing is postponed um, and then, you know, ultimately canceled. But this, you know, something that unfolded over the course of a couple of months from like, oh, we're going to reschedule till September. And then to like, no, this thing is just not happening at all because they had already. Sold a bunch of tickets they'd already had a bunch of people's money, so you know all these venues were trying to figure out ways to to keep the shows happening and ultimately yeah. they had to stop so this was this is all this all unfolded over the course of weeks and months uh I remember the first big shooter drop in cancellations was south by Southwest being canceled mm. and this was a year where I had lined up about twelve thousand dollars worth of gigs down there Shit. um So, like, that was a huge blow. So, like, that and then, um, the second half of the tour being canceled. Like, there was a moment in mid March where I just didn't even know what to do. Um, I had, I had gotten to the point where I had scanned my, um, my home for like all the leftover merch I had from like any tour. You know what I mean? Like, like not the one that I was on because all that stuff was actually shipped ahead to the place where we were going to start the tour already. But like this box of 12 shirts from this tour, this stack of uh, CDs from this tour, like I, and I put all the stuff together and like organized a sale to sell it all on the internet, you know, um, yeah. over the course of a few days. And like that kind of paid my rent that month. Wow. Um and I also, at that point, kind of had to divert a lot of energy into my Patreon mm. um, because that became really huge for me. Uh, and me and this uh, a rapper friend of mine, uh, who's one of my favorite rappers of all the time, his name is Serengeti. Me and him, we collaborate under this name, Kavanaugh. And we had these songs we were sitting on um, that we recorded you know, maybe two years ago, we had recorded them and we've been kind of sitting on them. And um, when Bandcamp first announced it was doing uh, the Friday where they wouldn't take their percentage of sales, mm. um, we decided to just put that out. But like we put it out, you know, we called it quarantine recordings. And, you know, in our language around putting it out, we were saying like, this is literally like, please buy this to support us because yeah. we are having a hard time. Um, And early on in this, I found that to be extremely valuable, like for people like myself who are working musicians, who are fortunate enough to have some sort of fan base already direct appeals to people for support because things were dire uh, was very effective. Um, So people were like overpaying for things because they knew that the only reason I was selling things was because uh, I lost a bunch of money with tours being canceled and I didn't have much else I could do in those uh, in between months. Um, So it got, it got really rough early on. Um, Things kind of balanced out going forward. Um, Figured out a few things to, to help income come in. And I was doing lots of feature verses, which Mm -hmm. is, something that i usually wouldn't do as much but you know not only did i need the money but i had the time
0: <laughs> are are those uh, and, and forgive me for not knowing are those like income you do a feature verse and and you get yeah you get paid yeah. a bit uh-huh um yeah
1: that's typically how because this is work for hire basically yeah um you know of course if if it's somebody you know pretty well you t- you know you're, you're not charging them but like yeah for somebody who just wants open Mike eagle on a record um they're going to pay me to be on the record and so i I I didn't
0: know i didn't know that was like uh how the system worked
1: yeah yeah i mean that's how it's supposed to work um people approach it and execute that in different ways of course um but yeah that's hey man
0: it's great for great exposure i like (laughs) that shit i'm sure you got
1: plenty of those people well you know um When I was first starting, absolutely, because when you when when you're first starting, you you can't really ask for money, (laughs) like because they're actually like in in many cases, either y'all are on the same level that they're doing you a favor, um, but you know where I am now, at least in being established, people like there's there's an understanding that them wanting me on the record means that they're going to promote the record and hope that people listen to it because I'm on it. Yeah. And with that comes this understanding that they have to pay something.
0: But uh, let's talk about this. I mean, like uh, again, I you you know Billy Eilish, but you're a, you're a well known musician. Your shit's reviewed in Pitchfork. Mm-hmm. I was a uh, you know fucking indie rock nerd in the mid 2000s, so I so I still look <laughs> at Pitchfork. I hate Pitchfork, but I'm like, oh, got a 7.5 from Pitchfork. It's pretty good. Your shit, you it's know, still you, something. It's still it's something. A, I mean, yeah. like you know, there's like a baseline level of okay. You're a fucking musician. I remember when we talked about having you in our Adam Ruins Music episode. A couple of people in the writers room were like, oh, I love Open Mikey. Oh, he's great. Yeah, let's get him on the show. Like people people know your work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't often think of musicians whose work we like as being folks who are having trouble paying their rent. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or who, who we need to support, like just for, like, Hey, I want to support them, but how mm-hmm. oh, they're probably, they're probably doing okay. Right. Um, and I think that's such a contrast with like, you know, uh, I talked about in the intro, like the difference between, the 90s right Mm -hmm. where like you know because of the cd boom like it was just a completely different industry and like today like i can't i can't think of an industry that's gone through a bigger change than that at least certainly not in media uh where it's like shrunk and changed and like the way the artists make their money has gotten so different and strange i wonder how how does it look to you i mean that is certainly
1: um that's a reality that we all have to contend with that the revenue pot has shrunken drastically, drastically. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, it's about the way that people are consuming music now. Um, and it's weird how we got there because we went from, you know, CDs being $10 a unit and and you sold. Um, if you sold a million of those, that was awesome. If you sold 2000 of those out of your car trunk, that's still pretty great. You know,
0: like there's good margin on each of the individual ones like you're when you're selling plastic, it's for 10 bucks. You're making a a good profit on every single sale and it scales
1: down well. That was the thing. Mm. It was it was easier to be independent then because the the way that people consume music made a, a revenue pool that scaled well with you as an individual, like I said, if you sold 5,000, 10,000 of something, that was pretty, that was great. That was great. Um, but now if you sell, I mean, it's hard to even say sell, if you get the equivalent of 5,000 album streams, um, it is, it is a far different, um, a far different, um, revenue level. Because the, 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 the streaming revenue just doesn't scale down at all. Yeah. It just doesn't. Like, if you're if you're streaming in the millions all the time or, you know, half billions, then it's great. Uh, If you're streaming in the tens, thousands, you know, uh hundred thousands, it's not good at all.
0: I mean, how does that look for you? Like, I mean, you don't got to tell me how much money you make off of streaming, but, like, I assume people are streaming your stuff. Uh, yep. What is what does that look like? Like, are you literally just hey? That's kind of uh, not even a piece of your income pie, or it's it's a it's it's
1: a hard to quantify a piece of my income pie. Um, and it and that was part of the reason why I started my own label too, is because the way that you get paid when you work with labels, um, the weight, like it's impossible to depend on or calculate royalties when you're waiting on a label because uh, mm. they're waiting on distributors to pay them then you know they're taking however long their accounting takes, you're supposed to maybe get paid quarterly, you know. Um, mm. and then there's all these expenses that they paid. And some of them you understand and some of them you don't. Like on the label side, like as an artist working through a label, it's it was it's impossible. Um but you know me putting out my records myself, so now I have a direct relationship with the distributor So now I get money monthly, but it's Mm. still hard to quantify how much is going to be. Um, And really in the marketplace, I've only put out at this point one EP under my own label, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, of course, not a lot of catalog to to chart revenue from either. So, you know, in a couple of months, I'm going to put out my first like actual album under my own label. And at that point, um, you know the the streaming revenue I get from month to month should go up, but I'm not exactly sure how much.
0: <laughs> and that album, by the way, pe- pe- people can pre-order
1: that album right now. Yeah, uh, there was a vinyl pre-order that sold out a special edition vinyl, and oh fuck, can- I was
0: gonna buy it. Oh, it was well, on my to-do list, okay. and now I've missed out. I,
1: I, I'm a uh, I'm a hard salesman on the internet, man. When, when there's something <laughs> when there's something to um to move, i I'm I'm on there trying to move it um and and honestly that that brings me to another means of creating income is is selling merch yeah um i've done five or six merch designs over the course of the pandemic and everything in limited quantities and you know the the sales model uh the business model is that you announce these things are available there's only 200 of them and because they're limited people want them and they go and like that's another way that i've had to um, I had to put a lot of energy into that too to, yeah. to pay bills while there's no shows.
0: Yeah, I mean that pre-order was like I uh, got a variant album cover. It's mm-hmm. like more expensive than the normal than a normal LP, I assume, right? Yes, and it's like a limited run of a thousand, and it's like on your on your Instagram. Hey, go get them right now! And yep. uh, I mean, and the album isn't going to come out for a couple months, so that's right. like a way of like was like smoothing out the income for you and like making sure you're able to get some before it actually goes out.
1: Right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the way that the vinyl manufacturing works is that, you know, the distributor uh, does the manufacturing. So it's, it's not so much to make, like it wasn't so much to make sure that cause I like, make sure they were covered cause they were covered either way. But it is like it—it's literally a way to make sure that I get some income up front from the energy around releasing a new project. Yeah, you know, it's like set a thing aside, make it special, and then for people who are really into me um, and want to have that special thing, then like that—that is a pool of income for me. Yeah, Uh, because other than that, then it's just depending on. The streaming is depending on the traditional uh, retail model of vinyl and all that's still going to happen. But like I said, all of that's really hard to quantify. Yeah. You know,
0: well, when you look at the industry overall, like, because I, I could, you know, if I wanted to have a really you know optimistic, positive interview with you, I could say, oh, man, like Mike's doing it. You know, like he's making his living doing this. He's really smart and he's got all these ways to make income. And you got your band camp. You got your Patreon, right? Like uh, you can live tour. Oh, well, not right now. But hey, we can find all these other revenue streams, right? And say, oh, wow, that's really great. Like anybody can, anybody can uh, do that right now, right? On the other hand, I look at it and I say, hold on a second. You're, you're really talented. You've had some success, right? Mm -hmm. Um, people love your work. Um, and yet to get by, you have to sort of like be doing all these hustles constantly. Hustle, Yes. Hustle is the word. And and what I always think about that is like, Hey, hustling's great, but not everybody can hustle. Like you clearly have a keen business mind and not all musicians do. And I don't think that, knowing how to hustle in that specific way should necessarily be like a prerequisite to being a musician who we all get to enjoy I and get to make a agree.
1: living. I right? absolutely agree. Uh, I, Cause you know, and, and it's also about like, I, I have the luxury of having a team. I have a manager, um, mm. you know, I have um, agents. I have, you know, like I, I, people who can try to make stuff happen for me. And, and, and even on a more basic level than that, people I can put my head together with, and try to come up with some ways to to manage this and um you know i there's a there's a lot of people there's a lot of really really talented artists in the world who don't have any of that yeah and i don't know how they do this right now like i don't yeah. i don't especially like i think about if if somebody's independent right now and they're just starting out yeah uh i don't know like i don't know if it's possible like i don't know what you do like unless You're one of those people who's like really good at controlling your own narrative on the internet and kind of creating some buzz that way, whether it's through videos or Instagram, or like if you, if you have that skill or, or that instinct, then you can, you can do it. You can navigate it. But if you don't like, what if all, what if all you have is great musical talent and you don't have anything else? I do not know how you do this right now. I have no idea. Do you mean under the pandemic, or do you mean in the industry? uh, The way it is now, you know. uh, I want to say both. I want to say that this was already a problem before the pandemic, and now, like the the before the pandemic, it was difficult. Now, I think with the pandemic, it's impossible. Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't. I do not know what to do. Um. So I have my label. I put out a project. Uh from an artist video, Dave, who's a collaborator with mine. Yeah. Um, we put it out in March and, you know, we spent money promoting it and on PR and in a video. And, you know, he's a, he's a person who's been making music his whole life, but like, I really wanted him to have a proper album release and a campaign and it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible. I mean, part of it is that um, – because earlier you asked me about the difference in revenue and the difference in how you make money and and if that's kind of unprecedented or if that's happening in other fields. Uh, I think it's happening in journalism.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: I think they've experienced a great shift in how it is that they make money. And I I bring that up right now to say specifically – the pandemic had a giant effect on how indie music is covered. Hmm. Um, A lot of sites who would be covering indie stuff, let a lot of staff go and didn't have a lot of budget yeah. to hire freelancers to cover stuff. Uh, so with those sites tight in their belts, they weren't taking chances on things
0: um, yeah. that
1: weren't sure to bring eyeballs to the site. Um, and, and, you know, since there was no budget for freelancers, these writers had no uh, incentive to try to convince editors to take a chance on something. Yeah, So, you know, we, we released it and I used every piece of wisdom that I've had from my experiences and how you make a project go, but because he was new Mm -hmm. uh, and didn't have an established fan base or an established catalog, It was almost like it just didn't happen.
0: Like it's like if you you put out your new album or your new video and a place like Pitchfork will do a little news brief because they've already covered you. Yes. And they're like, oh, yeah, open mic. He's a guy who we cover. He's got a new project. Make our little post. It goes up. Um, But uh, uh, but someone new. It's like, how do you convince that outlet to even write the little blurb, Um, especially when. I mean, uh, if it, it, so much has changed so fast, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like I remember, remember there was like MySpace and they're like music blogs. And like yes. that was a that was a way that was a I, huge that was different. Yeah. That was when when my career started, that's all you could hope
1: for was to be on a blog, to be on yeah. pigeons and planes, two dope boys and, um, you know, all of these independent sites that ultimately became part of complex or became part of, you know, Condé Nast or whatever. uh, Yeah. That does, that is another thing that doesn't exist anymore. The editorial power that those blogs used to have now belongs to Spotify. Yeah. Now belongs to Apple. Like the people who make the big playlist inside of those companies have
0: complete editorial power right now. Yeah. Like
1: they're the gatekeepers.
0: That, that, that really, uh, that really concerns me. Like, I listen to this Apple podcast, Apple music podcast, not podcast, playlist um, called Beatstrumentals. And mm. it's like it sounds like that YouTube video, that YouTube stream that was Lo- like fi. lo-fi beat, <laughs> five beats to study and relax to. It's like that. And I'm like, so I put that on when I while I write. And look, I'm not feeling cool. Like I'm listening to some cool new music. I'm just I just have some nice, relaxed beats in the background. But then I heard a track and I was like, oh, let me who, who is this? And I Googled the person and I find their Twitter account. And their Twitter account is like, "Oh, thank you so much Apple for putting me on the playlist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, this is huge cuz they're just someone in their bedroom who's made yeah. like a beat that made it uh, made its way on Apple Music somehow. That was like the biggest thing for them." And I'm like, "This can't even be making them any money cuz I know what Apple Music pays and not that many people are listening to it. this. is not one of the big playlists. They're not on Rap Life, you know." Right, right. But it's it's
1: it's still a big deal though because yeah, you know, th- it's it's equivalent, if not better than being on the front page of of you know Rap Radar uh, mm-hmm. in in 2011. You know, like it's it's a big deal. Like the exposure, like because what happens is it's like this feedback loop where if they put you on a playlist that has 45,000 listeners, um, then you know you have a song that's going to be increasing. And also your monthly listeners is going to start increasing too. And and all of this like, you know, and then you start getting on people's daily mixes and getting on people's release radars when you put out a project and it's like really
0: Spotify and Apple, like they help, they hold all the keys right now. And how do they decide who goes on those playlists? I mean, I imagine some of its algorithm, but some of it's human curated too, right? Yes. Um, they I I know there
1: used to be way more humans that made those decisions in curation. Now I think it is a little bit more algorithm-based. But I'll say this, too. um, If you talk to a distributor, that's what they spend most of their time doing. It's trying to convince Spotify and Apple to put their products on prominent playlists.
0: Just these huge... But see, there's a, there's such a big difference between trying to call the writer, you know, a pitchfork or whatever or whatever blog, which is like employees, human beings. It's a small it's a small publication. They do a music festival. Mm-hmm. You know, they it's like part of your world versus like you got to call somebody at Apple yep. and try to get them to give a shit about you, a two trillion dollar company.
1: And they only like, have a few people on staff whose job it is to do that. And could you imagine
0: all of the yeah. inquiries that they're getting constantly. And that's and, such a tiny piece of their business. They they don't like if their if their curation's a little bit better, it doesn't make a huge difference. They're just doing that to like, hey, Leah, let's have a little curation on there. Like
1: um I don't know. I honestly I do think that curation is a big part of their um yeah. Their their audience attachment in terms of people using their products. I I do think that that is important for them
0: too. But they give a shit less than an actual yeah. music writer does. True. You know what True. I mean?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. They work at Apple. Yeah, like, it's not. Yeah, they don't. They don't like. Oh, I really love this song. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not that. Yeah. You're right. It's not. That.
0: I cut you off earlier, though. I mean, what else do you think about these guys? Uh, about who? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Well, well like, what, what kind of what kind of impact does that have on you? That you have to like, you know, a lot of your fate is like controlled by these giant companies. Um, I mean, all
1: I can do is put myself in the best position to continue to exist. Um, <laughs> well, seriously, I hope you, I
0: hope you continue to <laughs> exist. Well, I mean, I mean, At a you base know,
1: level. I mean, as as a as a business entity, as a <laughs> yeah. as a as a musician, as a as a public uh, figure, and and what that means, knowing where all these levers lie and who holds them, it's like okay, I have to keep my distributor happy i have to give them assets to help them uh put my products in the best position and um and they're working hard trying to talk to um the the um what are they called digital service provider I don't know, for dsps is what they're called <laughs> apple and spotify you know what i mean like yeah so they're talking to the stores um trying to get because it's all the digital version now of what it used to be when you go to Amoeba. Like, you go to Amoeba, and there's the giant CD racks, and you're in the section you want to have, and you're walking down the giant aisle, and at the end of the aisle, there's this end cap, right? Yeah. And uh, 10 years ago, this end cap was the most important thing in music. Right. Like, <laughs> if you were a distributor, you wanted uh, the the Killing Joker Face's new LP, on that end cap, you were <laughs> you were on the phone with John from Amoeba every week to make sure that record was on that end cap. It's the it's the digital version of that, like these distributors talking to people at Spotify, talking to people at Apple. Um, if you ever go to Apple Music and you see like there's that little banner that's like a picture of the artist and the name of the album and it kind of scrolls by like, yeah, that's the golden ticket. Yeah. you know what i mean like that's that's how you know that you know that store has a great relationship with that artist by means of their distributor by means of their label cuz the labels are big in this too like yeah. that's that's really the, like that's the part i can't directly speak to but i can tell that it's huge because they're taking up all the oxygen in the room you know what i mean like my independent distributors talking to these people, but they're spending most of their time talking to Warner, talking to Universal and talking to Sony, you know,
0: but d- does that feel at all like, you know, completely divorced from what you're doing as a musician? I mean, I saw this guy, uh, a musician named Julian Villard, wonderful singer, mm-hmm. songwriter, piano guy. And saw song to a show, and he introduced the song by saying he was like, "So uh, I don't like normally perform this song. It was on one of my old albums, but then uh, for some reason it was added to a Spotify playlist or the algorithm liked it, and I don't know why. And it mm. suddenly got like hundreds of thousands of listens. This like random song off an old album. So it's like my most popular song now, and I have I don't know why it happened. So anyway, I guess I'll play it for you. <laughs> and I was like, wow. that's so. That's so weird to, like, have have that, to to have a song get big. Like, okay, this is my most popular song, and I literally don't know why it happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is weird. But I, I, I imagine that that used to happen when there wasn't digital, too. I imagine people would put an album out and a song would catch on that wasn't a single, um, you know, it was just a deep cut that people started liking, and they didn't know why. You know what I mean? I, I do yeah. think the the playlist thing does exacerbate it because you don't you don't know why. But and I think in some ways you never knew why. You yeah. know what I mean? So I yeah. don't know. That that's not so bad feeling. I don't think.
0: How do you feel about those companies? I mean, a lot of people you know, have this idea like we do about all these big tech companies. Now where we're like, ah, oh, Apple and Spotify, like they're bad for music. Like I feel guilty for using them. Like, how do you feel about that as a music producer? Do you think people shouldn't use them and should like, all be pre-ordering vinyl from you instead, or <laughs> 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 I mean, obviously you think they should do that. I mean, but but, I, I
1: honest, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I approach it with some level of understanding and some level of practicality. Um, because we didn't get here by accident. You know, we, we got here yeah. because uh, hard drives got, you know, consumer hard drives became such that you could put lots of music on them. Yeah. And, and, and now we all walk around with a hard drive in our pocket. Um, and, and so once consumer storage became such that you could hold on to albums in a convenient way. That meant that at some point people were going to stop buying them. Um, And so the industry went from $10 a unit to the void of downloading. Downloading was just a chaotic, insane, depressing void of, of just like, you don't know how much money to put into marketing something. The like, you could almost depend on the biggest projects uh that were coming out to be leaked by somebody who worked at a warehouse uh and and that would destroy the value of these things um and there was you know there was so little money coming in uh you know it, it was about artists trying to convince people to please buy a thing that everybody has for free yeah um it was it was really rough and so we landed at streaming as a way to monetize the fact that everybody was downloading albums anyway so like that spotify and apple represent the reality of consumption the reality of consumption is not ten dollars a unit and it's just not gonna be you know what i mean like and if it's, it's just like, you know, if you really like a movie, you might buy the Criterion Collection DVD because then it means something to you. And there's packaging that makes it like more valuable um, where, you know, the, the 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 album itself is just information. Yeah. You know, um, it, it it is recorded information that you're paying to own or or interface with in some way and streaming is the practical reality of now, um, you know, ownership is not a thing. We're not going to be able to own things that we can download going forward. It's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're we're subscribing to the news now, even, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, it's ownership is not how this is going to work, you know? So I think that streaming, um, is 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 not the worst way because I saw the worst way. The worst way was trying to get everybody to buy it. Nobody would, and everybody would download it for free anyway.
0: Really? Because I I always sort of felt that like when when it went from my assumption was that when it went from like you know iTunes uh downloading when people would buy it you know buy those uh to streaming that like revenue went down even further. But you, those were actually the worst days to you the iPod years. We had CD yeah. years, iPod years, streaming years, and you think iPod was worse than streaming? Um, was iPod
1: worse than streaming? Uh, I just think I think iPod was a stopgap thing. Yeah, you know I think iPod was a transitional thing. Apple Music Store that world. Yeah, I, I you know I that was great while it was around, but you were asking people to pay for something. Oftentimes they already had. Yeah, you know, and it was like you were paying as a way to show support, and and I think like yes, that support is important, but I don't think that. As an industry, we want to depend on appealing to people's emotions that way, like yeah. as a means of survival. It's like we have to figure out a way to do it practically in a way that makes sense for what the piece of information is actually worth in the marketplace. You know,
0: man, I have so many more questions for you about this. <laughs> I, 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 I have to take we have to take a break and and but we're going to come back right on this note. Um, okay. We'll be right back with more open mic eagle. that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com/slash Adam and get twenty percent off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com slash Adam. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, so uh, let's just keep talking about this. The technological changes that... The music industry has been to just in my lifetime have been nuts like I think it's bananas that now I've got nostalgia for the mp3 years mm-hmm. you know what I mean that like I had my cd collection in high school then uh went to mp3s and like now we're on streaming and I still buy I buy vinyl and I, I buy physical and and that's like when I really like a record like mm-hmm. I I buy that and and so I feel like we're still kind of have the best of physical media if we want to. You can still mm-hmm. get the best sleeve. You can still own the thing and have it in your house. That's really nice. But I think it's so funny that, like, you know, I <laughs> like like I actually have I, – I regret us missing out on, like, the best of uh, torrent sites now. Like, there's a couple of music <laughs> torrent sites that are still up, and I use them every once in a while. And And the reason I use them is because there's a couple where they actually have – a better catalog than you can get on Spotify. Like they've got like, you, you want to get a, you know, you want to get a Charles Mingus album. They've Mm. got every album and they've got every release of it. And you can get it with the bonus tracks. You can get the remaster. You can get a vinyl rip. You can get like, it's like the library of Alexandria and now music piracy's gone from everybody's doing it and it's ruining the industry to like now nah, now there's just 5000 nerds around the world yeah. who are exhaustively cataloging all music and we should just let them do it because absolutely we should <laughs> absolutely we should cuz we cuz we need access to that sometimes i mean I, there there's
1: another conversation to be had and i you know and and I, it hits me in a very um uh, direct <sighs> I have so many feelings about it because I come from underground rap music and underground rap music. I come from was mostly distributed by like white label singles. Um, it it wasn't proliferated. It was never successful, but these songs, this music was really important to me and important to this community that I, um, that I come from. And this music largely doesn't exist in streaming. mm because those labels were small labels that aren't around anymore and they never got bought by bigger distributors. And, you know, like there's all these rights issues and, you know, and, 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 and a lot of it is an artist kind of just like deciding, okay, it's been long enough. Let me upload this and hope nobody cares. And I don't get yeah. sued, but like, it's, it's a lot of that. And I think that, I think that there need to be efforts taken to like library of Congress all music, like all of yeah. it, like 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 it needs to be preserved because, as much as I appreciate Spotify and Apple for dealing with the consumption of music in a practical way, um, music's existence shouldn't depend on that solely yeah like and that's where it is right now we're like you get the sense that if something isn't on spotify it doesn't exist because there's yeah. so much there but there's a lot of stuff that gets missed there's a lot of songs that are missing there's you know there's an there's artists entire catalogs that aren't on there
0: yeah
1: um and i think that some efforts for, for preservation because these you know, like music recordings, and a lot of times can be more like culturally important than retail would have you believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so much of media has that problem. Video games has that problem really hardcore now, too, where it's like, if something, it's really hard to preserve old media, and you sort of end up looking to the pirates as mm-hmm. being the people who are like uploading the version that, you know, uh, you can at least get if you're a student or if you're, you want to go back and hear something, like, cause it's not always available commercially. Um, right. Yeah. And there, we, it's like, it's sort of, lost in the internet somewhere and you like yeah. need these volunteers who we've been treating like pirates for the last 20 years to like uphold the history i mean and, and it's like there there just has to be some way where
1: like okay copyright law is important yeah. understandably but there's got to be some wiggle room for preservation like copyright law in a lot of ways really destroyed The hip hop that I grew up with, like, just really destroyed it. Like, how so? Because once sampling laws were instituted and became, you know, violatable in the ways that people could get sued and and cease and desist, and you know, so much money. And and once that became, (laughs) once that became a, a viable thing that would happen in a lot of cases, and producers became scared of it, you there's just a lot of classic rap albums that could never be made today. They just couldn't be made. Yeah. Um or they or they could be made but it would be cost prohibitive because uh each one of these sam- you know, copyright holders has to name their price and then it gets into, you know, the millions and then at that point it's not even worth making because it's never going to make that back. Yeah. Um and I think that like I said Copyright is important, but it's not the only important thing. And, and I just I want there to be some sort of way where legally or culturally we give some credence or some some sort of energy to the other important things, not just the law part.
0: I mean, there was that movement in, like, the mid-2000s, like, the Creative Commons movement to, like, mm-hmm. have, like, copyleft and and these ways of copywriting things where, you know, okay, it's it, I, I'll let people use it for such and such a purpose for, like, sampling, right? Like, I still own the music, but anybody can sample it, kind of. But it never, really, it never really caught on. It was, like, a sort of, like, digital punk kind of thing to do for a little while. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you know, that... That stuff
1: doesn't make people money. I mean, if you're a copyright holder, your best bet right now is to have somebody to represent your library and be out there like hoping somebody samples it. You so know you can I mean? sue them and you can make money off of well, it. Well, not even so you can sue them, just so like you can get the clearance money. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's a that's a hustle. That's a hustle. Yeah. Um that a lot of people are on. And there's a lot of like there's a lot of um reissue labels who buy particular artist music just for that reason just so they can control the samples do you know what i mean like yeah and 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 i'm saying like i get all of that you know i get all of that i i like if i if i was you know if 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 i was a a jazz musician in the 70s and you know and i watched my contemporaries music get rediscovered or sometimes stolen from or know like I totally get like wanting to protect yourself and and to me I think it's even more about if there's some way to designate certain songs as okay retroactively um but like I said it's just it's about it's just about preservation and just about making sure that things aren't disappeared because that's that's the problem with digital things can be disappeared
0: yeah yeah. yeah like you said if it comes off of Spotify or Apple it's it's like it doesn't exist um, but like okay so with piracy I always felt I remember at the time, at the time I pirated a ton of music I me feel too. bad now Talk, me okay. too I feel
1: shitty I feel really bad now
0: <laughs> I'm, I am I had to realize Adam that
1: I'm partly responsible for the destruction of my own genre how so because when downloading first started Some of the fastest and most vicious and relentless downloaders were people like me who were in underground rap music. Yeah, Uh, and we would jump on Napster, Soul Seek, LimeWire, whatever, every day, just looking and downloading, looking and
0: downloading. Because you're you're trying to gather music to hear to feed your your own creativity. Like you're going to be voracious for that shit. But our that
1: that music was the most vulnerable to piracy Uh. like if you were metallica yeah you were worried because your income was being threatened it might mess with your quality of life but you were still gonna sell hundreds of thousands of albums yeah if you were um the juggernauts and you came out with an album in 2000 or 99 um that label needed you to sell ten thousand of those for for any of this to work and us downloading made sure that didn't happen. Yeah, like, like if you're they need they needed my ten dollars.
0: Yeah, and I didn't give it to them. Cause you're the you're the audience. Yes. You're like literally one of the few people who likes the music or who knows exactly. the music. I'm and, the market, and the whole market is on Napster, yes.
1: BitTorrent, whatever it was. So we killed it. Like we did wow. that. You know, like yeah. we we watched. Rap City and, uh, and and Yo MTV Raps, and we're complaining about how like only commercial rap music is on TV and is being marketed. But the reason why that was is because those people were still paying money for music, people who enjoyed that stuff. Yeah, we stopped, we stopped cold, <laughs>
0: and and that destroyed the genre. But also, I mean, let let, let me give you a little credit here because like we're about we're about the same age. I remember those years. I was like, I don't have. 10 bucks I don't have 20 bucks like that's how I felt as college student or like right out of college during the years where I had the least amount of money and and I, look I, now that doesn't account for the fact that in the years before that I bought like 200 cds when I was in high school <laughs> right <laughs> like I still have them they're in they're in my garage uh but like you know at the same time you're like hey what am I supposed to do mm-hmm. I can get this stuff for free I wouldn't hear this music otherwise I'm hearing so much more music than I could um, and you know, I'm a young person who knows how to use the internet. Mm-hmm. Like, am I really gonna go out and spend music? Like there's a, a spend money on, on this when, you know, I'm uh, my finances are limited, right? Uh, and there is that piece of it, like also the people that you're talking about who are buying those metallica CDs, well, they were older mm-hmm. and they had they had jobs. Yeah <laughs> I mean, but you know,
1: we chose not to pay and that is in some ways reflective of what i was saying like okay the hard drive is big enough now the internet is fast enough now
0: yeah
1: um these goods no longer become commercially viable and yeah us as music fans we were the first wave of it <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean um it's just technology meeting the market and that's just kind of what happened uh so you know where i i say that I mean, the reason the reason I can say so I say so confidently that we just that, you know, people in my community destroyed the market is because now I me me being on the other side of it. I have just an (laughs) intimate (laughs) knowledge with like, oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, that's why that label's not around anymore, because they needed my ten dollars and they needed all of my buddies. Ten bucks like they did so much better when one of us would buy it and dub a tape for everybody else like that was at least sustainable. But like once we were all on Napster and none of us paid the money, it wasn't viable anymore.
0: But why do you think it is like, okay, so at the time I remember thinking I was like, hey, music industry, hey, movie industry, if you don't want me to pirate, you got to come up with something better. Right. You got to come up with something better than piracy. You know, like that's the way that they beat it. And that's what they did, right? Yep. Like we ended up with streaming and in movies and TV, we have Netflix, we have all these streamers. And like, you know, I will, I, I still have a BitTorrent client, but I only use it when I cannot find something otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like if I want to watch some BBC show from 1995, I go <laughs> on BitTorrent, right. right? Cause it's probably not available anywhere else. And I, instead I have subscriptions to all these services. Now the fucked up thing is that like in music, Apple and Spotify, we've got this story where all the people making the art are making almost no money from these services. That's like the rub of it is that mm. like, uh, you know, it is that it looks like much worse for the industry. The industry shrunk. But in TV and movies, that's not the story. Right. People aren't. I mean, like Netflix has too much power. Right. Disney mm-hmm. has too much power. But we're not saying, oh, man, like the people who make you know, movies can't make a living off of it anymore. Mm. Right. Like we're not saying that the industry, the industry hasn't shrunk in the same way that it has in music, even though we've moved to streaming in both of them. We went through that same piracy disruption and then we moved to streaming. So what do you think is, why do you think that's, that's happened more intensely in music? Or do you think I'm off base in my well, analysis? you know what? I, I think, I think that's a
1: great point. And when I'm thinking about it now, a few things popping in my head, one um, movie and TV the production of it is a lot more organized, mm-hmm. and there's they got in front of a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like mm. the unions, like they they made like you weren't yeah. gonna put them in a position where you were paying less for production just because mm-hmm. it was streaming versus being on air. Yeah. Um, and in music, you don't you don't you have none of that. There's none of that. There's no protections um against making sure that there's still a cost associated with the production of it you know none of that exists
0: there's no union saying hey if mike's going in the studio i don't care where you're selling it i don't care if it's for streaming or not you got to pay him this or that here's here's the minimum here's scale
1: there's none of that every everybody um everybody works for whatever you know whatever they can get and that's that's from the producers to the engineers to everybody else involved in the process, the people who do the art, like there's no protections. Um, so if people can pay less, they will. So that's one thing. Um, two in streaming, there's a lot happening right now with the big corporations trying to outdo each other to make sure that they are like the number one platform. And because of that, I think a lot of them overspend on production. Hmm. Um, and I I don't know if that's always gonna be the case. Hmm. Um, like, you know, once, you know, once if Disney if Disney Plus fails or if Apple TV fails, yeah, is Netflix gonna continue to spend billion dollars on production? Nah. I don't think so. You know? Yeah. So I, I think at that point then we might start to see a similar contraction. Um You know, in in that marketplace, too.
0: No, I'm I'm absolutely concerned about that, that like, you know, you look at those companies and they're getting more and more like commodities where they're just like, hey, let's just get as many hours as we can for as for as little money as possible. And like as long as it's good enough, as long as people don't cancel their subscription Mm because they've got, you know, because they got enough reality shows to watch uh, as opposed to like the the peak TV years, the HBO versus AMC years when it was Mm -hmm. like, how much, how much money can we fucking spend on this beautiful period (laughs) thing? You know? Right. Uh, You remember,
1: you remember how much money Netflix used to spend on its original shows, like house of cards, like when it's, you know what I mean? Like, so different now, like they like they've obviously realized that that's not what's gonna tip the scales in their favor is how much money they yeah. spend on something, you know. So I, I, you know, so I think that might be uh, evidence of what's to come. What do you think is to come for the
0: future of the music
1: industry? <sighs> um, I don't know. It, it doesn't look good. Um, because and and the reason it the really the reason it doesn't look good is because like. Even the, the biggest acts, I think, I think like there's a, there's a, there's this little aura of desperation around even what they're doing. Like, wow. th- like the, the, the PR stunts are crazier than ever. Um, yeah. There's still a lot of like public narrative. Um, what's the word? Misdirection and shit going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still trying to figure out, is it best to release the Beyonce album by surprise or is it best to uh announce it four weeks out so we can do a whole like they're they're still trying to figure it out that's what scares me (laughs) you know what I mean like the and 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 that it's like especially because big artists there's a value now in appearing independent and appearing um organic yeah um that that bugs me too like because all of that, all of that does, all of those things, um, in addition to helping those artists stay successful, they suck all the oxygen around out of the room for people who are actually struggling. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't look great. Um, there's a lot of money in it because people still love music, so people are paying for Spotify and people are paying for Apple Music. So as long as there's money in the system. Uh, it's going to survive and it's going to evolve. Um, I just think that the 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 pie, the piece of the pie, for independent musicians, uh, I don't I don't see that getting any bigger anytime yeah. soon.
0: It's the disappearing middle class problem.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's absolutely yeah. Bad. But in and- in music, it's the disappearing of every class except the big one.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the. Yeah that's what really concerns me like again just talking about CDs it's like hey you know part of part of what made indie rock or just indie music like explode in the late 90s early 2000s is like yeah the CD thing that you're talking about right Mm -hmm. that like you have these small bands that are like I, I don't know name a i don't know granddaddy do you remember granddaddy with mm-hmm. yep. that band mm-hmm. and like uh you know not not a huge band but able to you know i assume make money for for uh, uh you know about a decade because you know selling cds and stuff like that and like does that i don't know how much does that exist anymore how, how much does that market exist like i,
1: I think that it's, it's like this i remember um when myspace started people thought MySpace was great because oh now the playing field's level because everybody's got a page on here so if and you make s- an upload right so if you make something and it's great uh you have just as much chance of being hurt as anybody else well, that's bullshit um because the <laughs> truth is this if you came into the MySpace era having already been established in any kind of way you had a leg up yeah you know because it's not like everybody starts from zero notoriety um yeah you know so if it, so you come into it and once you announce you have a page and you put that on your email list or whatever suddenly you have 20,000 friends then you know then that platform's working great for you but if you were literally just starting it wasn't um and i think that a similar thing is has happening now where what's going to happen for independent musicians is i think things are going to move into a little bit more of a boutique market mm. um where you know it might get to the point where it, for independent musicians they might take their stuff off of streaming altogether, mm. um and and just make direct to consumer products um you know vinyl or or whatever way they want people to experience this stuff and sell it that way but again that only works if you're established already that only works yeah. if you came into this having a fan base because how do you build a fan base if your products aren't in the retail marketplace
0: right like you, you know? can sell if you if you If you said, hey, I'm only selling my shit on Bandcamp now and it's nowhere else. Well, you've got a fan base of however many thousands of people who want to buy you. You sold out your your pre-release of your of your record. Right. But Mm -hmm. like, how do you do that if you're if if you're you 10 years
1: ago? Yes, I have. And that's the thing. I literally have no idea. Like what if I was just starting right now, I would you know what I would do? I would put a lot of energy into videos. Um cuz I will be trying to sell my aesthetic over social media. Yeah. Um like that's that's an angle that wasn't available to us previously that you can take advantage of now. But like I said, that works if you're good at aesthetic, if you're good at the internet, that works great.
0: Yeah, um, here's my look and here's what I stand for right. and if you like me, you you like this kind of lifestyle yes. and, and that whole thing. Yes.
1: Like that yeah. that can work, but you know, like that takes some acumen, you know? Like that really like that's not an easy thing to do like on on paper um, you know, that formula seems pretty apparent, but the actual execution of that is like, the, you know, there's, there's giant firms who exist because that's a difficult thing to do when these people get hired as consultants, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, you know, it, I, I, I worry about the talented people who don't have resources, Yeah. um, in the near future. I worry about how it is that they're going to be able to um, release music that reaches people.
0: Also the, the social media thing, like, that gives so much power, not just to Apple and Spotify, but to like the YouTube algorithm. Right. Like mm. I, I think about in comedy, I got started because my college sketch group made videos and they got big on YouTube and actually just on our website. Like we were mm. just uploading MOV files before mm. YouTube. Right. And and the videos weren't even that good. They were just like our you know, uh, our very early sketch comedy brains doing weird shit and people liked them. Right. But now if you wanted to get your stuff seen on YouTube like this, well, if we upload the same stuff now, we get 200 views. Right? right. We would have to play the YouTube channel game and say, OK, how do you be a successful YouTube channel? Well, you upload every single day and it's videos of this type and you got to have this type of thumbnail and like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. And all those decisions that end up changing your art in a way that YouTube wants your art to be. Exactly. All those decisions benefit YouTube, not the art or necessarily the audience. And you have to be in the top point zero 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 one percent of people who are good at that part of it yeah. before anybody even sees your comedy or music, I assume. And so, yeah. like, I, I don't know, like. I imagine like SoundCloud as like a thing, for instance, that's a whole world I barely understand. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, I know for a while it's like, oh, people putting stuff up on SoundCloud. Oh, shit going viral. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, that world I imagine would have a similar problem.
1: Yeah. And and SoundCloud used to be the organic space. And from my understanding now, it's not anymore. You know, because yeah. because I haven't heard about it in a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the labels, the labels figured it out. You know, they they put SoundCloud as a company in a position where, like, if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to help us push what we're trying to push in some way or another, then we're going to stop you from operating because all of your stuff here is copyrighted. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Do you have uh, Let's see we, we're, we're getting close to the end here And I like to end on an optimistic note <laughs> not, I, not on the note of I don't know how people who don't have Resources are ever going to make it ever again <laughs> 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 I mean what did you do In those first couple of years that brought you to where you are and is there anything that uh you know you think a, a young musician listening might take away with them not to not to make you say hey kid be just like me but well
1: you know uh one transferable thing that i that i do still believe in is it's paying it forward because that helped me out too like there were artists who were more established than me that got on songs with me who helped me talk to labels, who put me on tours opening for them. They didn't have to do any of that. But that's kind of part of how this thing works, um, is that you're looking for who's coming up and you kind of help them out. Um, Because this, you know, this indie thing is really about a community of artists. Yeah. Um, So, like, that's one thing that I'm always trying to do. Like I said, I, you know, I'm using my label in that way. Um, it's just trying to figure out how to do it successfully in this new marketplace. Um, but I think that as long as, you know, indie artists who are established still kind of have that understanding of it and are looking for ways to help bring other people up, then there is some hope for how we can figure this out going forward. Um, you know, so I think it's about people like myself scanning the community and looking for, you know, free floating entities that could use the support and the context and And really
0: make it an effort to to help bring them up Now that was a wonderful positive note <laughs> <laughs> that was a really that was great. Thank you so much for being here, man. Of course, man, thank you. Thank you it was what, al- always great to talk to you. Uh, you too, and and what's the name of the new album? And where can people get it? And how can they give you money so you can pay your <laughs> goddamn rent? Because I'm sure people are going to want to do that after hearing this. <laughs> well, it's called Anime
1: Trauma and Voice, and it's out. Uh, it's not out till October 16th. I'm not sure when this is going up. Um, and you know, the biggest way to support it is listening to the single. Uh, there's a couple singles out. If you search Open Mike Eagle on your streaming services, you can check out those. And uh, we sold out of our our pre-sale vinyl, but there's going to be a standard vinyl offering soon. Uh, But it's really just about enjoying the music right now. And if you like it, letting
0: other people know about it. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Mike. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again to Open Mike Eagle for coming on the show. That is it for us this week on Factually. If you like this episode, please, please, please give us a rating or a or a review wherever you subscribe. It actually does help us out. I know it's hard to believe, but it really, really does. If you'd like to let us know what you think of the show, if you got some comments, if there's a topic you'd like to see me cover, send me an email at factually at adamconover.net. Always love to hear from you. I want to thank our producers, Dana Wickens and Sam Rodman, our engineers, Ryan Connor and Brett Morris, Andrew WK, for our theme song. As always, you can find me online at adamconover.net or at Adam Conover, wherever you get your social media. And until next time, stay curious. Thanks for listening.